Uh, please keep your Bibles open to uh, Luke chapter 12 as we continue our sermon series on the stories that Jesus told. Page 1619 if you've accidentally closed your Bibles and please know that there'll be a time for questions after the talk. Well, before we get into tonight's passage, will you please join me as I pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word so that we may know how to live in your world. Please help me now to speak your word clearly tonight. And we pray that you'll be doing real business with us as we confront important things in our hearts. Please give us soft hearts to hear what you are saying to us through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Many social commentators, both Christian and non-Christian, have made the observation that the pursuit of money can bring about negative consequences. One example is a guy called John DeGraff, who wrote the book Affluenza. Uh, the title's a play on words. Uh, it's, it's combining the words influenza, which is a disease, with affluence, which is to have a lot of money. And in his book, he defines affluenza as this. It's a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste, resulting from the dogged pursuit of more. And what's the result of a society that's infected with this? Well, the graph says this. They aspire to the lifestyle of the rich and famous to the cost of families and friends and personal fulfilment with the result that we as a society are more stressed, more depressed and more obese than ever. That's affluenza. Now I suspect that from when you were young, you were brought up with the idea that money can't buy you happiness. And I suspect you probably agree. But it's so strange that so many of us live as if we don't. Do you find that? There's certain things that we kind of chase after. We go after the bigger house or the bigger car or the latest gadget. And almost without realizing it, we've contracted the, the disease. And the thing is, more and more voices in our world are telling us that this disease is dangerous. You know, I love it when millions of dollars of research and studies are spent and all it ends up doing is telling us something that Jesus has been talking about for thousands of years. Well, tonight, we'll see what Jesus has to say on the subject as we see the solution to this thing called affluenza through the parable of the rich farmer. And tonight we're going to see uh, three things. Firstly, we'll see the two underlying problems of greed. Secondly, the antidote to greed. And thirdly, the perspective that Jesus gives to how we're to respond to greed. But first, the, the context of this parable. Uh, our passage opens in verse 13 where a guy from the crowd uh, interrupts Jesus' teaching and asks Jesus to tell his brother to divide the inheritance with him. Now, effectively, this guy is saying, Hey, Jesus, can you tell my brother off? Because he isn't giving me what's mine. 
Now, Jesus knows what's happening in this guy's heart. So he issues that guy, as well as the crowd that was there, a warning about wealth. Uh, Please read with me verse 15. Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, greed is that selfish, ruthless appetite to have more and more. To the point that your life is defined by what you have or what you consume. Where your identity of yourself is based on your wealth. And to highlight the danger of consisting your life in the abundance of possessions, well, Jesus tells this parable of the rich farmer. So, verse 16. This farmer has a bumper crop. And the parable's really clear that it's the ground of this farmer that prospered. It's not because this guy did anything special. And did you notice what the farmer thinks next? Please read verse 17 to 19 with me. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. At first glance, the man's plan to build a bigger barn, it actually sounds like the the logical and the prudent thing to do. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to build bigger barns. But there's actually two underlying problems with this guy. Firstly, he doesn't recognise that God is the reason for this bumper crop. In these three verses, the word I is used six times. What shall I do? I'll do this, I'll do that. He he thinks it's all up to him. But not only that, the word my is only used three times. So it's my crops, my barns, my surplus grain. He thinks all of this is his. And it doesn't even occur to him to thank the one who has made this bumper crop possible. That's his first problem. The second problem with this man is that he's only thinking of himself and not others. It never occurs to this guy that he's already rich and doesn't need any more, even though he has the opportunity to share his surplus with those in need. You see, the the heart of the problem for this guy is that he's selfish and has no regard for others. Well, it's ironic that the man chose these next few words in verse 19, eat, drink and be merry, because the old quote goes one step further, eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But the thing about this farmer, it's not even tomorrow that he dies. It's even sooner. He's planning to take life easy. But God's got other plans. As he says to him in verse 20, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. 
then who will get what you prepared for yourself? You see, this man is a practical atheist. He's completely forgotten about God, and he completely forgets about the fragility of life, where one day God will call him to an account. Now, this guy has invested in life as if this is all there is. This guy's not rich towards God. And because of that, what the Bible says here, he's a fool. Please listen to what Jesus is saying here. You can buy all the material things you want. You can uh, make lots of investments. You can get a lot of stuff. But if you fail to invest in the other half of reality, which is the ultimate reality, which is spiritual things, the life to come, if you fail to invest in that, well, Jesus is saying, you're a fool. So please don't be short-sighted. Please don't forget that there's another half to everything. Even though you can't see it, it doesn't make it less real. Investing in spiritual things is the greatest investment that you can ever make. Now you might be sitting here and thinking, well, well, how do I do that? How do I not be foolish in the way I invest? Well, it all starts with making sure that you're on the right page with God. Can I ask you, are you living life as if this is all there is? And all the while, forgetting that there's more to life than this. If you're here and you want to start investing in that other half of reality, well, it all starts with investigating who Jesus is. Uh, One thing we're going to be doing this year at church is to run the Simply Christianity course uh, throughout the year. Uh, It's a great course to come along to. It answers the questions like, who is Jesus? What is the Bible? Uh, Can we trust the Bible? It's also a chance to get your own questions answered as well. Alternatively, you may just want to have a coffee with someone just to go through your questions. Either way, any of these options are fantastic opportunities to check out Jesus for yourself. So if you're interested to find out more, please chat to myself or Peter M or Carmen. But please don't waste the opportunity. Please don't put it off. Investigate who Jesus is. Now for us who do follow Jesus, I reckon this parable strikes a nerve for all of us. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we actually want to be like the rich fool in many respects. And we, we, we want to say to ourselves, I have plenty of things laid up for many years. So take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. Now we certainly do need resources for life and ministry. And not only, not only that, resources are needed to grow the resources. But again, the problem isn't in the possessions themselves. Now the problem is in how tightly we cling to them. You see, how we view our possessions will shape how we use them 
or in some cases, how we refuse to use them? Do we see our possessions primarily to serve me or to serve God and others? You know, greed is such a blind spot for us, especially for us who live in the inner West. We're so desensitized to it because of this culture that we swim in. Because uh, we find it easy to confess those other obvious sins that we may struggle with. Sins like anger or addiction. But rarely do we share about our struggle with greed. And and it's so easy to make our affluence sound okay. Well, without thinking, we, we justify it by saying, hey, there's always someone who earns more money than me. Or there's always someone who's stingier than me. So therefore, I must be okay. The thing is, if you think you don't have a problem with greed, chances are you probably do. Well, what's the antidote to greed? Well, the next section of our passage looks at how we can be rich towards God. And being rich towards God is the exact opposite to what the rich fool did. Instead of being so selfishly consumed with our wealth, it's to be generous with what we have. Uh, It's at this point in the passage, Jesus is now with his disciples, and he identifies the major obstacle that stops them from being rich towards God. And that obstacle is anxiety. Uh, Please read verse 22 with me. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat, or about your body, what you will wear. And what Jesus says next after this is to describe the key way for them not to worry, which is to remember that God is the one who provides for all their needs. And Jesus makes this point by showing how God provides in nature. He's got two examples, and his first example is the raven. Now, the thing about ravens is that they were the most despised bird by Jews. They're the Indian miners of the Middle East. They're rats with wings. But Jesus' point is that God is still concerned for that stupid bird. He'll make sure it still gets fed. Uh, Jesus' second example is the flowers and the grass of the field. And Jesus underlines the fact that they don't have to do anything, yet God clothes them. And given that the disciples and us are much more valuable than ravens or flowers or grass, well, how much more will God provide for us? And because God is like that, well, we don't have to be anxious. Now, given that God is the provider for our needs, Jesus says in verse 31, instead of being consumed by what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear, be consumed by God's kingdom instead. Now, please read with me verse 31. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. You see, God's kingdom is about people about people coming to know Jesus, about caring for people in Jesus' name. And as we invest in God's kingdom, 
God is saying here that he will provide the stuff that we need each day. And the thing is, investing in the kingdom, investing in people's lives, that's the stuff that will last. And here's the big thing, and this is our third point for tonight. When we get what Jesus has given up for us so that we can be part of his kingdom, well, it puts everything in perspective. The Apostle Paul sums up this perspective really clearly in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. He says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You see, Jesus has infinite wealth. And he gave up all his treasure in heaven in order to make you his treasure. Jesus left his wealth in heaven and died as a man on the cross so that we can be forgiven of our sin. And it's because of that where we can now come into God's family and we are now made rich in Christ. To have spiritual riches, riches that can't be stolen or can't waste waste away. And if we keep in mind what we have in Christ, then money doesn't have to be the currency for our significance or security. Now, verses 33 and 34, it closes with the idea that being rich towards God involves living generous lives. Please read verse 33 and 34 with me. Jesus says this. Sell your positions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So because Jesus has shown us such generosity in giving us the kingdom, well, our motivation to be generous will be because of grace and not guilt. You see, it's not because we have to give or we have, we're forced to, but it's because we want to. You see, being motivated by guilt will always make you a reluctant giver, a tight fist giver. And there's no joy or satisfaction in that. But it's only when we comprehend the grace that God has shown to us in Jesus will have hearts that want to share with others because we know what it's like to be recipients of amazing generosity. In the end, there's nothing wrong with having great wealth. There's nothing wrong with having big barns. But it's where your heart is. And the thing about your money is that it reveals who you really are. That you can play the religious game all you want and learn all the right things to say, but your wallet doesn't lie. How you spend your money says a lot about what's important to you. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And being rich towards God, it means in the end to believe that Jesus is all you need and to pursue him in such a way 
that your hands are opened and that you're an instrument that God can use to bring about his purposes in his world. So can I ask you tonight, where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Now you might need to make some radical changes into your investment portfolio. We might need to start investing not so much in the things that make you feel comfortable, but in God's kingdom instead. It might mean giving to a charity organisation like Jericho Road or Tear Australia. It might mean supporting a child in a developing country through either compassion or world vision. Or it might mean financially investing in the work here at Abbotsford Presbyterian as we seek to grow God's kingdom here in the inner west. And as we're at the beginning of this year, well, now is a great time to assess your giving. And if you've recently joined our church family or, or if you haven't done so already, please consider financially partnering with us here at Absolute Presbyterian for the work of the gospel here in our community. At the start of each year, Eddie and I, we sit down and we look at our finances and we look at what our finances are saying about us, about what we treasure, and we assess our giving in, in that light. And it's a helpful exercise, although it can be very confronting at times. We say that we treasure God. Is that true? Does our finances reflect that? Let me encourage you to ask yourself the questions. Where is your treasure going? Does it all land on you or your family or your interests? What does it reveal? I invite you this week to do a little stock take, to check out where your treasure is going and to see what it reveals about you. We've seen tonight of how instead of being greedy, God's grace teaches us to be generous. And do you know what the irony of all this is? As you start investing in spiritual things, you actually start enjoying the good life, the life that we all are longing for. Because the thing is, when you invest in spiritual things, it has a way of releasing your grip on the here and now. Releasing your grip on stuff, which is one of the things that makes us so miserable. And as you release your hands off the things of this world, it starts to lift your eyes. And you start getting a, a greater appreciation, a, a, a greater joy, a greater satisfaction for all that God has given you now. And it's this contentment that actually heals us from affluenza. Now, I'm not saying that's the reason to be a Christian, but it's a very helpful byproduct. Investing in the things of God is the greatest investment that you can ever make. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your great love for us. We praise you for your amazing grace. And we thank you that though the Lord Jesus was rich, he became poor for us so that we can become rich. 
Heavenly Father, we confess that so many times when we get greedy, when we hold the things of this world a bit too tightly, where we've been like the man in the parable and focused too much on the here and now instead of your kingdom. Heavenly Father, please grow us in the understanding of your grace and love for us and please change us that we may be cheerful and generous and joyful givers because you have given us so much. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.